Welcome into another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. Uh, a little different today. I'm Jeremy Spector, along with our good friend, Ronan O'Shea. But unfortunately, the one you all came to listen to, I, I would imagine, uh, sometimes go by the Candyman, Sir Rupsalot. Uh, Randall J. Sanders is not here with us today. And now, Ronan, I do have a question for you. Is there any truth to the rumor that Randall is not here in a silent protest because this is the 27th podcast and Addison Russell? Oh, very, very possible. Uh, 27, also my birthday. So yeah. it could be a protest oh, to protest me. Of you. I'm hearing reports it's a load management issue. Uh, I also heard, you know, sometimes people who develop a following end up with a little bit of an ego. And we hear about veterans in baseball who get the suite on the road. You know, like you go on the road, they get the suite at the hotel instead of the standard room. Randall needed an all-star break. So foot goes down. He's taking the all-star break. And us peasants here have to carry the weight in uh, the wake of Randall. I thought maybe you're going to say he's holding out for more compensation. And and there's that. There's that, too. He, I don't know. Uh, are, are we as cheap as the Ricketts family? Well, we will see. I will say this. I'm a bit worried about him because I was under the impression there may have been some bad weather in the northern Illinois area yesterday. He's been very quiet today on our chat. I just hope he's all right wherever he is. Also, Jeremy. When I was out a couple of weeks ago, I had the concert, you guys did the show, I listened to the entire podcast. Will Randall listen to it? Will Randall hear what we're even saying right now at some point in the future? I'm going wow. no. I'm going to say no. I, I, we will find out if Randall ever listened to this podcast immediately because he will yes. comment immediately on what we have said about him. And we will, hear, we will not hear the end of it. So we will find out if he, if he did listen. And we miss him, though. We do miss him. We do miss him. Uh, the big guy just needs a, a little uh, load management. So he's, yeah, yeah, taking some time off. He's out. Um, but uh, he'll be back. Sometimes be you, back just, and... you just need to rest up. You know, you, 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 sometimes, you, you know, you, you spend too much energy getting up, walking around, doing a lot of things. You just, just need a little time off. Exactly. Good for everybody. Exactly. Uh, well, we were actually going to start this off, you know, a little post all-star break, getting preview, may, I mean, go over the all-star break, preview some of the second half. But, you know, before we come on here, the Cubs, they pull off their first trade, right? Uh, so Jock Peterson, we hardly knew you, you know, I like Jock. I thought he was a great guy on the team. He seemed fun. He had some big moments. He had some fun moments, but he's already out, off, you know, first one out to Atlanta for 23 year old first baseman Bryce Ball who was drafted in 2019, a 24th round draft pick, a kid who kind of came in, uh, overplayed expectations a little bit in his debut. And he, he just was mashing. He was drafted out of Dallas Baptist university. He's hometown of Mason city, Iowa up there by Minnesota. Not much. I really know about Mason city, Iowa, other than it's also the hometown of uh, Jeff Horner who played at the university of Iowa basketball. And I, as an Illini fan, I was never a big fan of Jeff, Horner. <laughs> but uh, you know, Bryce Balk maybe could have played some basketball. He's six, six So he's a big boy. Um, it's an interesting trade, Ronan. Uh, you know, we all knew it was going to head this way. Cubs kind of, you know, they've always kind of been a team that will, you know, I, I'm a little surprised it's this early, but they've always been kind of a team that will kind of jump ahead of schedule. You remember Jeff Samarja was traded very early on, uh, the Jose Cantana when they were on the other end, that was kind of an early trade. They jumped the market a little bit. So the Cubs kind of really with the first major trade deadline trade and yeah. it's Jock Peterson going to the Atlanta Braves. Well, you know, it's uh, mixed emotions. Of course, uh, this is the beginning of the dominoes. And I'm not surprised. We knew this was coming. We knew that at least some guys are going to be sold off. And this ends up being Jock Peterson. The Braves get a power hitter. He had a competent glove in left field. 
this is a team that is still very much alive, although they're underperforming. I think they're not where they thought they'd be here at the all-star break, but the Braves are very much in playoff contention and Jack Peterson's going to make them a better team. So, yeah, all right, I mean, the Braves gone. are only a game up, a half game up on the Cubs. Yeah, yeah, but it feels like there's a lot more talent there, and the East is an interesting division, too. I mean, the National League Central is certainly not one, even with Milwaukee with a healthy lead right now. There's problems there. The Reds could contend. But, look, we knew these trades were coming. I'm intrigued by who they got back, and it's interesting that he's still young. Uh, you mentioned that he's, what, 23 years old, first baseman. Um, this is a guy who was basically – completely disrespected out of high school. He's out of a small town. Nobody thought there was much there. He goes play Juco ball, just rips the cover off the ball, goes to Dallas Baptist, a very good baseball program uh, down in Texas. Hit 18 bombs in his one season there. Now here he is uh, going from the Rome Braves to the Chicago Cubs organization. And he's not performing very well this year. Batting average is low, not as much power as we've seen in the past. He is walking well. But if you kind of step back and look at the last couple of years, he was actually invited to big league spring training with the Braves last year. And that's normally a distinction that's held for maybe a a first round draft pick or a top draft pick, not a 22 year old single A player, but they liked what they saw there. So a lot of hype around this guy. He's not performing at the level you want at this point, but still a ton of upside. And for Jock Peterson, I'm okay with this. I think this is an intriguing prospect coming back and somebody who has the potential of possibly being a quick riser. If there's something there, he may not be that far off in the big leagues. If not, well, you lose half a season to Jock Peterson, not the end of the world. Yeah, I agree with you. I actually think this is pretty fair value for Jock. I mean, He's just a rental. He was, he's only going to be here another three months or so. It's not, and it's not like he's, you know, he, he, unfortunately we all saw what college Forbes doing uh, yeah. and Jock hasn't been that, but you know, he's a solid enough player and I, I think it's pretty fair. And this kid ball, uh, Bryce ball, as you mentioned, like, I, I think people were kind of surprised. I mean, he was a 24th round pick. He comes into pro professional ball and he just, knocks the cover off the baseball. He crushes it in rookie ball. He sent him up to, to Rome and at that time, low a ball. He continues to crush the baseball. And of course, then the pandemic hits the pandemic hits. So you miss an entire season. So I feel like it's kind of hard to judge with, we have all these guys that missed baseball last year. They didn't play in any games like real games um, last season. And so now you're, you're getting all these guys coming back and you're seeing them struggle. Um, you know, I, I don't think you would expect you're not for Jack Pearson. You're not expecting an elite prospect and he's not an elite prospect. He's a bad only first baseman, most likely, you know, those guys aren't going to be really highly rated, but he's a guy who hits the ball very hard. He takes a lot of walks. Even this season, he has a very high on base, but he's what, like a two Oh seven batting average and a three fifty four on base percentage. Um, So he takes a lot of walks. He's in high a now uh, Rome. He's still in Rome, but they jumped up a level. So he's now in high A. So it's an intriguing prospect. It's an interesting prospect to get back for Jack Peterson. Um, you know, maybe two, three, uh, you say a quick riser, but probably more likely two years down the road, three years down the road, if he can be an actual contributor. Uh, maybe that you have something there. Maybe you have a guy there who can uh, off the bench a little bit, provide some power, maybe even start a little while as a first baseman. And, you know, he's going to hit some home runs for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, plenty of upside. And if it works out, great. And if not, I mean, we don't have a lot of optimism about what the second half of the season is going to bring for the Cubs. So what were you going to get for Peterson anyway? I I think this is good. I like the move by the Cubs here. I'm interested to see what he does moving forward. But it's also sad that, you know, that we knew this was coming. 
So it's not that we're surprised that they're starting to sell guys off. It's just sad that, okay, the inevitable is, is here now. And there were some big names that could be going any day now at this point. And, and that's a tough pill to swallow. You want the team to be competitive, the big league level. At the same time, I think there's a lot of reason for optimism about the direction the farm is going. Reinforced in the draft, which we're going to touch on before the end of the show today, um, more trades coming. I think the Cubs are going to have a top 10 minor league system in the next year, maybe yeah. year and a half. I hope so. I, you know, yeah. They've increased velocity on a lot of guys. Uh, some guys are struggling, uh, unfortunately, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. And, you know, looking into the second half, obviously, if the Cubs are going to make some trades and Jack Pearson – you know, kind of a guy you expected them to trade if they were going to make some trades. I'm, I'm only a little taken aback about how quickly it happened. Um, but like, it should be an interesting second and a half because you're going to have some holes on the roster that guys are going to have to step into. So um, Josh Pearson's gone now. So now yeah. we need another left fielder, uh, you know. Um, so you, I, any names that you think could fill in there? Well, I think one that stands out is Alfonso Rivas. Um, this is a guy who has been hitting well in Iowa, and this is something to be excited about for the second half of what's going to end up being a lost season for the big league team. All right, who in Iowa is going to get some extra playing time here down the stretch so we can see if there's anything there? Like Patrick Wisdom, who will probably continue to see get some at-bats in the second half of the year. Let's see if there's something there that can contribute to the 2022 team or the 2023 team. So that's the first name that kind of jumped out to me. He's a guy that got back. You were telling me just before we went on in that Tony Kemp trade a couple of years back, uh, played college ball at Arizona. Uh, he's just hitting the cover off the ball in Iowa, and it may as well give him a chance to see what he can do at the big league level. He's a guy that's always seemed like he's a solid hitter. Um, not really. I mean, not like ball and ball has big power, kind of huge exit velocities. Whereas Rivas kind of seems like he's just a solid hitter. He just, and, and you know, he's played a lot of first base. So maybe that's not in corner outfield spots. So that's why he's not really like, if he was a second baseman shortstop, he'd probably be way up there, but you know, he doesn't have that type of athleticism, but like, he's a solid hitter. He gets on base. He can get base hits, get base knocks. He's, you know, he's not going to have huge power, but he's not, doesn't have no power. So it'll, it'd be interesting. Yeah. I've, we've seen him a couple years now in spring training this year and last year. Uh, he seems like an interesting guy. One thing I'm actually looking forward to a little uh, off of Jock necessarily, but we assume that the rotation um, we'll yeah. have some new guys in it the second half. So if we start seeing some Justin Steele pitching in the uh, the starting rotation, Keegan Thompson pitching in the starting rotation, guys like that, I think that will be an interesting thing to watch in the second half. And, you know, interesting thing, you know, some, you know, TV viewing, like I actually want to watch those games. Exactly. Where those guys are starting. I, I You know, if, if, if even if we're making trades, like there's still reasons to watch the games. And it's, you know, disappointing that Braylon's had the injury issues this season because it'd be a great opportunity for him. But as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, Jake, it sucks, but Jake's done. It's, yeah. there's just nothing there. There's nothing that's going to contribute to this team moving forward. Um, same really, well, maybe I shouldn't totally throw him under the bus, but I'm not too optimistic about someone like Trevor Williams, even moving forward. I don't see him fitting into the big picture for this rotation. So let the kids come up, let them play. We know it's probably not a playoff team uh, unless some miracle thing comes together in the second half. We know Kimbrell's probably out the door in the next week, maybe week and a half. We got about 15 days or so until the deadline's up. We don't know if it's going to be Bryant or Rizzo or Baez or Wilson or a Hap or whoever else who could go from this team. Jeremy, last time you were talking about more of those bullpen arms, a guy like an Andrew Chafin would certainly be very valuable here at the deadline. Every team in contention could add someone like that. and It makes the team better. So 
this stinks. It, we're a couple years removed from the World Series. That timeline, that window has closed, and now changes are happening. And if you're a glass sort of half full type person, all right, let's see this next wave. What from this core of minor leaguers, of these sort of fringe AAA and major league guys, the Patrick Wisdoms of the world, the Alcantara's of the world, maybe the Rivas's of the world, which of these guys will be a part of this team moving forward? David Bodie is another guy who should be getting some at-bats back here soon. Watching Nico Horner's development in the second half is going to be very interesting. And uh, we just don't know what's coming, even if Rizzo is with the team past August 1st. That doesn't necessarily mean he's on the team April 1st next year. So if those guys are here, I want to enjoy the hell out of the last of them in a uniform. Last time them seeing him at Wrigley Field. Definitely. These next two weeks are obviously going to be a yeah. crazy two weeks, a very important two weeks for the Cubs. Uh, I, as you mentioned, I expect bullpen pieces to go. I wouldn't be necessarily surprised if, say, to get a better return, if uh, maybe a couple guys are packaged together. Maybe yeah. a Kimbrel or a Chafin with Bryant or something. Who knows? You, you can get a better prospect that way. But it, it did interest me a little bit to see, and I know Randall's not necessarily a huge fan of all types of speculation, especially certain beat writers. Yes. But Jesse Rogers over the All Star break did mention on the on ESPN one thousand that his feeling at this time was that he thinks that Bryant, Baez, and Rizzo will all be Cubs on August first. He thinks that he doesn't think that the offers out there will be satisfactory for Jed Hoyer and that Jed will probably hang on to you guys. And I kind of agree with that. I think, it, I think I would be surprised more uh, if Baez and Rizzo are traded. I, I could see Bryant being traded. Somebody might just put an offer out there or they move on, but I wouldn't be shocked if those guys are still around because as I mentioned uh, the other week, I, I, you know, Tom's probably going to want, fans to come to the ballpark where, I mean, we're here talking about how, you know, the second half, all these interesting storylines to watch, but at the end of the day, like if you have Rizzo, uh, Baez and Brian out there, fans are more fans are going to come for those guys. than they're going to come to see whether David Bodie or Patrick wisdom could stick around on the club for, uh, April of next year. So it'll be interesting. I, I think, I think we don't really know what's going to happen these next two weeks. I think we do know, Craig Kimbrough is going to be gone. I think we know Andrew Chafin is going to be gone. We know probably like a Ryan Tapera when he gets healthy, he'll probably be gone and other guys along the side. What happens with Chris Bryant, Javier Baez and Anthony Rizzo, to me, that's all up in the air. I, I, I And I'd be more surprised about Rizzo and Baez being traded. Yeah. And um, we also know that payroll is really limited for next season, under $50 million committed. So they got to spend money somewhere. They're not going to roll out a $100 million payroll. Uh, I also want to point out, I, I was a little bit – erroneous last time on the show I wasn't as clear as I could have been and what a sad moment here Jeremy a rare moment of humility for me and Randall's not here to see it but I want to clarify something that I said about the big three guys the three offensive guys Rizzo Baez and Bryant Um, you don't automatically get a first pick just because they leave you've got to offer the qualifying offer so that's interesting. Would Javi Baez potentially accept a qualifying offer and come back for a year with an opportunity to sort of bolster his numbers again and be a free agent again in a year? Um, the player then also has to sign a free agent deal more than $50 million somewhere else for the Cubs to get the pick back. And I do think Rizzo, Bryant, and Baez will all get at least $50 million. They'll on all be offered market. a qualifying offer. I would totally. be stunned if they didn't. Uh, and, and that'll be interesting. Who takes it? Like yeah. I could see Baez potentially uh, Baez taking take- it and trying it again. I a hundred percent, you know, I, I would, I don't think a Rizzo will because Agreed. he's or a little Brian. older. Uh, uh, Brian's definitely not going, he's going to get a contract. Uh, but Rizzo's a little older. He's got the bad back. You know, he's going to want to get that payday if he can get that payday. So I wouldn't be surprised. 
I would be surprised if he took the offer. But Baez, you make a good point. Baez might, you know, this is a big year for shortstops in the free agent. Francisco Lindor took himself off the market. There's still a lot of other guys out there. There's Trevor Story. There's Corey Seager. Yeah. There's other guys out there. Brandon Crawford's a free agent, and we probably would have had Baez ahead of Brandon Crawford. But Brandon Crawford's having a monster year. Um, there's one other name I'm blanking on that's a free agent this year as a shortstop. But, uh, but uh, or maybe it was Lindor. Never, never mind. Mm-hmm. But um, so maybe a Baez who's not having a great year. He's having a fine year, but not a great year. He's only 27, 28. He could take a one-year qualifying offer. He could come back. He could put up a monster year and then try it again. Now, maybe, I mean, we'll see how the season goes and we'll see what the, you know, there's deadlines on taking the QO and stuff, but I would expect all three to be offered that. And as you say, they all have to get um, contracts over 50 million. I would expect all three to get contracts over 50 million if they do end up signing big free agent contracts. So, and it wouldn't necessarily be a first round pick. I think it's after the compensation round. So it's a little bit later. They're just totally first, right, but, it, but it's still it's still draft compensation. It's still a higher That's, pick, you know. The guy you you have to weigh that against the guys you're gonna you're gonna get because you're either gonna get like a draft pick that could be equal to the players that are being traded. Like if you're not getting a top 100 prospect or at least some young kid that has high upside, like they kind of got with the Darvish deal, if that's what they want to go, then you know it might just be worth it to keep them around and, and get some draft compensation because Brian, like I said, Brian's probably going to, you're going to get something from Rizzle. You'll probably get something for bias. You probably would get something for it. So yeah, that has to be weighed in by jet. Totally. Totally. And they've got money to spend. Yeah. As I said, last time, the, the real question I have going into next year, and we'll never hear this from the team, even in the Theo years, very, very sort of uh, keep the cards close to the chest. What is the payroll oh, yeah. flexibility for next year? What's the payroll flexibility two years out? I just, I wish I could get that number for Mr. Tom Ricketts, but that's not how things work. And it's something that we got to wonder about because it, it changes things to see the different teams and how they approach it. Cause some teams are very upfront. They're like, this is our budget. This is where we're going. And the Cubs have always been at least under Theo. Uh, they were, you know, we think that's a, a strategic disadvantage. Why would we tell anybody what we can afford to, to spend? So it is interesting that, I mean, you do get some speculation. You'll, you'll read and yeah. more on, you know, Randall uh, is not going to be a fan of these, but you know, your David Kaplan's your Gord Wittenmeyer's, they like to put out there what their sources tell them, what the, the budget is. But uh, you know, it has always been interesting that Theo would not divulge that information. Yeah. But well, my uh, expe- oh, well, let me say one more thing. Yeah. My expectation, which should be the paramount or pinnacle thing here, the Cubs should have a top five payroll every year. With the exception of maybe one year here and there where you've got some expiring contracts or, you know what I'm saying though, generally speaking, the Cubs should be that, that is the expectation that the front office needs to be operating under at least in the top five. And really, I think it's the top three, but they should be putting up upwards of $200 million for the big league roster with all the money they generate in that neighborhood. You want to turn Wrigley field into a mall. I get it, but you've got to spend money to win. And that's going to be really the ultimate deciding factor in how long this rebuild is going to take. This rebuild should not, they should be competitive as early as next season, at least interesting as early as next season with maybe a let's let it ride really in 23. I'm perfectly fine with that, but this isn't, let's push this thing out till 2025 or 26. That would be completely inexcusable for the ownership group to allow something like that to happen. And I want to be clear. I don't think that's what's going to happen here, but I want to see them in the top five payroll, certainly in the next two seasons. Definitely. And and it's not like the, you know, Rick, I mean, they may act like it, but they're not poppers without the Cubs either. This isn't a McCaskey situation where all they have is the bears. This is the Ricketts family was, they are billionaires with TD Ameritrade. They, they have some money 
before coming to the Cubs. So they should be able to afford some things. But, uh, you know, moving on this past week was the All-Star break. A huge, you know, obviously the Midsummer Classic is a huge moment for MLB to put, you know, their best foot forward, get so much attention. And Ronan, you were our eyes and ears on the ground in uh, Denver. You know, you could follow him along on at BTYL Podcast, where Ronan put up a whole bunch of pictures from different events going on in Denver. And when I went to the all-star game about 20 years ago, when it was held in uh, on the South side, uh, I remember they did have, you know, the big fan fest, but the one thing they did have is they had all these like bobblehead type deals, like huge bobbleheads around the city for different teams. Cool. Have, remember how like they had the cows down like Michigan Avenue. So now it's a little different when the pandemic, this was rushed from Georgia, but did they have just like random things around this, the city at yeah. all? A little bit. There was some public art. There was a really weird public art design. 16th Street is sort of the tourism thoroughfare that runs through downtown. It's where all your shops are and things like that. And there were uh, different banners up of all the players, not even players who made the all-star yeah. roster, just sort of major league all-stars in general. Javi Baez is one of about four different streets right now in downtown Denver. So that was always cool. I'd turn a corner and be like, ah, there's Javi and cross the streets, Timmy Anderson. Um, didn't have a lot of um, bobbleheads or anything like that, but certainly the focal point was McGregor Square the brand new open property here that has the hotel. It's got uh, luxury, everything, huge food court, all that was ready to go. And that was really ground zero for a lot of pregame activities, postgame activities, but the city embraced it. And I was thinking about you a little bit, Jeremy, the last couple of days, because 20 years ago, you get the all-star game on the South side. You've talked about that since that day. And I remember it, right? Of course you would talk about it. You were there for baseball history. You got to see Kerry Wood pitch on the yeah. South side in an all-star game. I, it was very cool to be a part of that here in Denver, just to, to my, the city that I chose to move out to a couple of years ago. I live across the street from Coors Field. The baseball world came here and I was fortunate. I got to partake in a lot of it. I got to the fan festival. I got to the futures game. I actually stuck around for the celebrity softball game. And then Tuesday morning, I found myself with a ticket to the all-star game and I got to actually do it. So I didn't get to see the home run derby, but I felt like I got a really good sort of taste of what an all-star break is like. I got to experience a lot of cool things and it was an unforgettable week. I mean, as a baseball fan, do it one time in your life. If you only get to do it once, get to an all-star game, just be a part of it because it's cool to have the whole baseball world in your backyard. Definitely. It's definitely cool. It's kind of similar to uh, environment to kind of how the couch world series is where it's like, everybody's kind of, everybody's kind of coming to, you know, from the whole baseball world. It's like the big moment of everybody's there, you know, everybody that's the focal point. You, you get fans from all across the country, you get everybody from across the country. I'm sure you went walking around town. You probably were seeing some ridiculous jerseys. I'm sure you saw a few Yachty number fours and whatever, but oh, yeah. uh, you know, you, you'll get some random ones. Now I, I you went, so was McGregor McGregor Square? Is that like where they kind of had like a street fest deal going on over there? Is that what you're saying? They, well, that's where they had like before the All Star game. It was the purple carpet instead yeah. of the red carpet show, the purple carpet show. Mm -hmm. um, but just there's a bunch of bars in there. There were different speaking engagements where you'd have different representatives of major league baseball who would do a panel seminar on a topic or something like that. So it was just a lot of free activities too going on there. The games weren't free of course, but there, what I liked about it is that there was sort of a balance of 
if you were paying money to go to the games, you got that experience. If you didn't have an ability to do that, you could still go to a free fan fest. The convention center here in downtown Denver was a huge interactive exhibit. They had memorabilia. I actually saw, Jeremy, I know I sent you a picture of this, a game-worn Greg Maddox jersey from a game you attended yeah. 16 years ago at Wrigley Field, a 3,000 strikeout. And as soon as I saw that jersey, I'm like, Jeremy was at that game with our buddy Ryan. And I'm like, this is so cool. Just to, just to see that connection after all these years was neat. And it was just a whole lot of that day after day. And you're right, Jeremy, seeing the sea of jerseys. And I, I saw every single big league team represented by fans walking down the street. You saw Pirates fans coming in, Mariners fans. There were old Devil Rays jerseys that people were walking around downtown Denver. And as you know, Jeremy, Denver's sort of a compact downtown, very easy to get from one side of the city to the other. So it was just baseball heaven for the last week. Uh, The bars were packed. Nightlife was popping. Just great for the local businesses here. Ubers were going all over the place. The pedicabs were going up and down the street. There were concerts and beer fests. It was a hell of a party over the last week. And to get to take that in was just an awesome, awesome treat. Every baseball fan should get at least once. Yeah, that's an that's an awesome game uh, that Ryan and I went to. That game actually had like a two hour rain delay and didn't start till the yeah. nine nine o'clock. And uh, Greg Max got his three thousandth strikeout, and uh, Latroy Hawkins pitched in that game for the San Francisco Giants and actually got cool. out of a bases loaded jam, I believe, where the Cubs thought they were going to put some runs on the board and they ended up saving pretty much the game. I mean, not a lit- actual save, but saving pretty much the game for the Giants. And they won, but that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, the whole environment area, but, and so you, as you said, you had planned the whole time you were, you told us last week, you're going to go to the futures game. And, uh, when I got to go to the futures game, I got to see Cubs legend, uh, David Kelton play in the futures cool. game. So that was like a big moment, obviously, but you got to see a little bit different, a little different experience. When you went to the futures game, you got to see some actual Cubs legit prospect go off and go off. He did in Brennan Davis winning the MVP. So what was that experience like? Cause you must've been going nuts when Brennan Davis hit the first and then the second home run. So I, I, I th- thought you get a kick out of this. Uh, Harriet said to me at the futures game, or when we left the futures game Sunday and we got back to the apartment, she said, Ronan, that is the loudest I've ever heard you at a sporting event ever. Like we got a lot of Rockies games. She's seen me at a couple of Cubs games over the years, not a ton of Cubs games, but enough. I was loud at that futures game. Uh, My buddy, Rich from Nederland, Colorado, one of the great mountain communities just outside Boulder, he and his younger brother, Bob had tickets to everything and they were coming in. They needed a place to stay. And I offered up the house here. I'm like, look, I'm across the street. Let's save you some money on hotels and lifts and things like that. So they hooked me up. Uh, they got us tickets for the futures game on Sunday. It was the first time I'd ever been club level at Coors field. So that was a cool experience. Very similar Jeremy to your bear season tickets, actually, where you walk in, you've got like, uh, an area behind the seating bowl with private bathrooms, much shorter lines for concessions. There's areas to just kind of mingle and air conditioning. It was almost hundred degrees on Sunday during that day game for the futures game. So it was nice to be able to go in and get some air, uh, after the futures game. One Republic comes out, they play a couple of songs, and then it's the celebrity softball game. So I was at the ballpark for about seven hours on Sunday. Did you Sunday. know anybody in the celebrity softball game? I did, Well, I knew, you know, um, Von Miller, of course. Yeah. I knew uh, uh, who else? There was uh, one of the Denver Nuggets. Will Barton, is that his name? Uh, yeah, yeah, Will, Will Barton, Barton was an in NBA it. player. I, okay, he was there. In terms of celebrities, I it was pretty bad. I, I've heard of Steve Aoki. I believe he's a producer or an EDM music maker. The rest of them, though, it was pretty slim pickings. And it was funny because the 
public address announcer would say like from the hit show Riverdale. I'm like, what the hell are they talking about? But it was cool. It was cool to see just so the futures game ends as the futures game is ending and they're giving Ken Griffey Jr. comes out and gives the MVP award to Davis, which was very, very cool to see them down on the field. They're setting up a stage for this ridiculous One Republic concert. They sang two songs, Jeremy. It took them probably 60 minutes to put the stage together, rip the stage down, all for two stupid songs from a band that was introduced as Denver's own. They're actually from Colorado Springs. So I thought that was a little bit sloppy there from uh, the Colorado Public Address team. They performed and then... Let me say this. I lasted two innings longer than I thought I would in the celebrity softball game. I made it to the third. I wanted to see the beginning of it. I wanted to see, like, I've seen it on TV after all these years. I just kind of wanted to see how do they actually do it? How does it get put together? That was kind of nice. But after the first time through the order, it was like, okay, I've seen this. Vinny Castilla homered. That was cool, I guess. But other than that, it, it, it really didn't move it. And I left before that thing ended. But to see Davis win the MVP was very cool. The celebrity softball game is always kind of interesting to me because it's one of like the few things in this day that is on tape delay. Like mm-hmm. they play that on Sunday night and then they don't air it until Monday night after the home run derby. So it's always kind of weird that yeah. that's tons of editing. Like what else is going on? Yeah, tons of editing. What else is going on, on Sunday night? They can just play it live. It's but, a very, uh, very sloppy oh, yeah. softball game to the point that when the game started, so they've got a DJ in center field and they're like wheeling her out beyond the center field fence all of a sudden the game starts. There was no, all right, let's get ready for the first pitch. Now batting the lead. No, the game just starts. There was another play too. Hunter Pence appeared in the game. He uh, had like a bouncing ball. It was sort of a close play at first. He ran over first base and the base like kicked off to the left six inches or so. So very, very sort of haphazard. I was actually looking. So they shortened the first base bag. It's not 90 feet for the celebrity softball game but they didn't put any protective cover over where the base is like, like where first base would normally be. There's sort of a hole in the ground and a metal pipe that sticks up that the base gets lodged into Von Miller. One of the great players in the NFL is busting his ass on the first baseline. I could just see his ankle getting shattered, the ACL going down. He had no idea that that hole was there. At least it didn't look like he did. So it was just kind of cool to see the behind the scenes aspect of it but I never need to go to a celebrity softball game again because I, I was ready to go you after the first. You did it. But I did it. And it was, I'm glad to have seen it. It was, it was neat. And Unf- one thing I did want to say oh, too, oh, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Um, I mentioned I was club level. One of the cool things about club level at Coors Field is it sort of wraps around the press box. So if you're on the first base side or the third base side to get to the other side, you walk through this sort of narrow, it's almost like a walk of fame exhibit that's behind the press box on the club level. It was littered with errors. So they have an area for the best Rockies players broken up by position. So you've got like your first base mural, Todd Helton, names like that. It'll say, okay, who led the team in hits, home runs, on base percentage, whatever the top five first baseman in Rockies history. They had Joe Girardi on their shortstop tab. Joe is a great shortstop. An incredible shortstop, right? All those years. And then they misspelled Coors Field in another document. How do you misspell Coors Field? They messed up field, F-I-E-L-D. I think they oh had the L and the D backwards. But I was walking through there going, what an embarrassment that this is, this is, that's just Bush League, minor league behavior from a major league team. And I know he's listening, but Mr. Montfort, owner of the Rockies, my, my offer still stands. Please hire me <laughs> as quality control. 
just let me be the guy to walk through the and ballpark you have and clean things up. Control. Uh, I do. Uh, you were Randall's quality control man as well. Yeah, and I'm your quality control, and I'm unhappy with the uh, titles you pick for the podcast. Hey, anytime you want to give me a title, I, I just bake them at like <laughs> three in the morning when I'm putting them up or whatever. I just whatever comes to the head while I'm laying in bed. So uh, we'll see. Anytime you want, somebody wants to suggest a title to me, I'm all for it. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I just want to do give a little shout out to uh, my father because my dad and I were watching the game, uh, the futures game that is on Sunday. And my dad just walks in and my dad goes, and he sees a kid on the mound. My dad doesn't know anything about uh, any of the minor league prospects or anything. And he sees a kid on the mound pitching and he just sees the name is Priester. And my dad's head just goes, Priester. I know <laughs> Priester, Priester Aviation. Uh, that's Pelwaki Airport. Like, cause a man named George Priester built Belwaukee Airport pretty much and owned the airport until he sold it to 1983 to uh, Mount Prospect and Wheeling. And my dad's like, oh, I, I he, he, my dad keeps a plane. You know, one of his guys knows Priester Aviation's big deal. Like, he's like, I bet that's whatever his grandson. I'm like, well, he is from, you know, Chicagoland area. He's from uh, a little farther north and Carrick Grove. I believe he went to high school. Quinn Priester, pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Pittsburgh Pirates organization from Carrick Grove. And my dad's like, I got a call. Like, I got to look this up. He calls like his buddy or his friend who knows the Priesters. And he's like, yeah, that's his grandson or they all Crazy. went out. So my dad was like so happy because my dad keeps his planes there over at now Chicago executive at Pelwaukee. But he was like, I, I know that kid or that kid's family at uh, Quinn Priesters. I want to give that little shout out for my dad being all excited watching the softball game or excuse me, the futures game. That's really neat. And, and it was very, very fun. I think baseball fans go to a futures game. If you ever get the chance, one tickets are reasonable. They had a good crowd. There was maybe 25,000 people or so, which in a ballpark that holds 50, it maybe didn't feel full, but still the volume of talent. I mean, there were some incredible names, big time prospects that were playing in that game. It was also cool to see uh, one of the Yankees prospects. He's like 17 years old, yeah. a young guy looking at some of the birthdays on the screen. Oh. Like, man, that guy was born in 2000. You can't look Holy at birthdays crap. anymore. Like, like, yeah, I stopped once they started being born in like 98 or like 97. I was just, I'm done. I'm like, I'll never look at a kid's birthday again. Yeah. Just tell me his age. Cause like, I don't want to know when they were born. Right. It's, it's a great event nowadays. Very, very cool event. And I caught a little bit of the broadcast later when I got home. It was on MLB TV. I was able to see I wanted to see the home runs again and just kind of how it was broadcast. I was not very impressed with the broadcasters that were doing the game. No. But from a fan experience, if, if you're ever in a city where the All-Star game is coming and the home run derby or the All-Star game itself maybe is out of your, your price range, get to the Futures game, stick around for the Celebrity Softball game. It's It was a full day at the ballpark. But something else that made it really cool for me the, the two guys that I spent most of the last week, uh, Rich and Bob from Nederland, Colorado, really, really good baseball fans and diehard nice. Rockies fans. They grew up with the Colorado Rockies. That's the team they love just to be able to share baseball with people. They've had a very different life experience, even than me, to be able to go to the ballpark with them, to be able to kind of see baseball through their eyes. It was cool because they appreciated a lot of the things that was going on. And I had a very, very funny moment on Monday where we were walking around the ballpark, very, very crowded. And the owner of the Rockies, Monfort, walks right by us. I mean, just middle of the day, walks right by us. I see him all the time, just walking around the neighborhood here. I say, hey, Rich, look, you know, there's Monfort. Bob, who's not happy about the NOLA trade, not happy about the direction that the Colorado Rockies are going, he let him have it. 
I mean, it was a world-class boo, Jeremy, 10 feet away from the owner of the Rockies, yelling at him to sell the team. It was very, very funny. I got a kick out of it, at least. And it reminded me of me 10, 15 years ago. I booed a lot of people at Wrigley Field. I booed Rod Blagojevich at Wrigley Field. I've booed uh, Jesse Jackson at Wrigley Field loudly. I booed uh, Crane Kenny multiple times at Wrigley Field. It had that type of energy. You know what my boo sounds well, like. I was just about to mention. Yeah. Uh, I actually was thinking about this a little bit earlier when you uh, talked about Harriet saying the loudest she's ever heard you at a sporting event and the loudest I've ever heard you at a sporting event. I was going to mention this and I'm glad you brought it back up because I had forgotten about it in the past. The loudest I've ever heard you at a sporting event. I think it has to be around like 2005, 2006 ish where you booed the one, the only Kent Merker. And that caught me <laughs> way off guard because I was like looking around and Kent Merker comes in the gate and I just hear boo as loud like and i was like whoa what happened like and i look up and you're like ken merker and i'm like oh ken merker's in the game and and that was the loudest i've ever heard you at a ballpark well bob was doing that with all the tiktokers anytime a tiktoker came up in the celebrity game it was loud just screaming down on the field we had an amazing time at that that futures game celebrity day just to see that energy the hate that he had for the 19 year old tiktokers on the field also the tiktokers were terribly unathletic I mean, unbelievably unathletic. That was something that stood out to me in that softball game. I don't know how it translated to TV. Nobody could catch pop. I didn't, I didn't, I, I'm going to admit yeah. I didn't watch it. You missed nothing. You missed nothing. But it was, but again, to be there in person, to already have tickets to it. What bothered me though, and it bo- bothered uh, Rich and Bob as well, is it was more crowded for the celebrity softball game than the Futures game. And it really? was all in one ticket. Yeah. People were showing up more towards the end of the Futures game. I don't know if there's a whole One Republic fandom here that just needed to see the hey. two song performance between the games. Denver's own. But, but and there, there, in fact, there were two people next to us that, uh, you know, Jeremy, let, let me put it this way. You go to a ball game. You've got your three assigned seats, you and your group. Two people on the end don't show up. At what point in the game do you feel comfortable moving into one of their seats? If you just want to spread out like a fourth inning, fifth inning, like at what point? Do you feel like, okay, seat next to me is going to be vacant yeah. the rest of the day? I always feel like the fourth inning is like yeah. when you feel safe, but I've been surprised. There have been times like I've been somewhere in the fourth inning and somebody's coming. I'm like, are you serious? Like I've, I've always felt like if you don't show up in the first three innings, like you lose the right to that seat. I've always felt yeah. that. Well, these assholes to my left showed up right as the One Republic concert was starting. So it made the section a little bit more cramped. They stuck around when I was leaving the ballpark during that celebrity game. Oh, so uh, but a lot of fun there. Yeah, it did. It did. But it was cool. And for Davis to win it, I mean, you know, his first at bat, he struck out. I'm like, damn, you know, I just hope that he stays in the game. They didn't have massive rosters like the Major League All-Star game, but to give him two more at bats and to see him go out of the ballpark. The first one right off the bat, I knew it was gone. I popped out of my seat. Second time he comes up, I'm just screaming, do it, like get the MVP. If he really, I felt at that point, if he did anything, he was probably going to get the MVP. So he crushes it five rows into the bleachers in left field. I was absolutely screaming, screaming my head off. The only other thing during the Futures game that got a loud, and I mean loud reaction from me, is there was a montage on the video board of the 10 longest home runs in Coors Field history, Uh, like regular season home runs, not home run derby or anything like that. And Sammy showed up. And when Sammy popped up on that video board, I mean, Harriet like curled up into a ball. She was so embarrassed at how loud I got because I had all Cubs gear on. I was ready for Sammy. That was my one moment to really let Sammy hear it. And I let him hear it. 
we shouldn't we actually shouldn't look over the fact that there was a second Cubs prospect yes. in that game, Manny Rodriguez, who actually looked pretty interesting and was throwing ninety nine miles an hour. And that's a guy I believe is already on the forty man. So that's a guy who could actually come up in the second half of the season, and we could see you know if he's an interesting you know bullpen piece. You're totally right. He was throwing hard. He was striking guys out. And I was leaving the ballpark going, yeah, probably going to see him maybe when the Cubs are here in Denver the first week of August. Maybe he'll be with the team at that point and we'll get a chance to see him again. But very, very good experience. Futures game was a ton of fun. I was uh, out of commission. I kind of needed a day to recover, even for the home run derby, which was fantastic. So I wasn't there. But talk about a show. Uh, Shohei put on a hell of a show with Soto in the first round. And uh, Alonzo, who I had picked just before the home run derby started, I picked him to win it. He he really put on a terrific show. And Coors Field, thin air, no humidor. I think the home run derby absolutely delivered this year. Really, every round was interesting. Yeah, I, I would argue that the home run derby was probably the highlight of the whole Great. all-star experience. And it's the one event, unfortunately, you didn't get to go to. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was going to ask you, your apartment, you have a, a garden level kind of apartment and it's, well, as level. you mentioned, street level, sorry. Yeah. And it's, 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 uh, it's, you know, as you mentioned, it's right next to Coors Field. So you're not too far from the uh, ballpark at all. Like it's just walking, like when they do those overhead aerial shots, I was pointing out to my dad, I'm like, there's Ron's apartment. He's yes, right there. You can he see it. Mm-hmm. Across those train tracks, across that big road. Uh, what was that experience like now on, um, you were there for the home run derby, you, you, you know, the flyover, some fireworks. Is that just like a crazy, can you hear everything? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I went up on, you can go on the roof of the parking deck here at the apartment, which is about five stories off the ground, just over left field. So I went up there 20 minutes before when I thought the flyover would be. And I had uh, jumped the gun a little bit on that. I forgot that there's all the pageantry before oh, these yeah. things start. So I think it was six o'clock local was when the home run derby was supposed to start. The, the actual action didn't really begin until about 6.20. But I went up on the roof. I got to do the flyover, got to see the fireworks going off. It was just fun that day, posting up on the patio here with some guests. We had a couple of beers and just watching all the baseball fans in the neighborhood and talking to them. Like you'd see somebody walking down the street in a Phillies jersey and you'd get into a conversation or, oh, here comes a Cubs fan. There were so many Cubs fans to talk to. There are always Cubs fans here in Denver, but it was cool. You'd see a a Sandberg jersey or a Dawson jersey, and then you'd have to go talk to the guy. And that was nice. You know, post-pandemic, there were 50,000 people in Coors Field for that All-Star game on Tuesday night. I was looking around the ballpark going, holy crap, this is the most people I've been around in a very long time. But people were excited to be there. They were repping their home teams. I didn't see anybody brawling, didn't see any fighting. I really didn't see any stupid behavior. Fans that were too drunk to stand up or were getting into others' faces. It was a party. Everybody wanted to be there. And that makes it a lot of fun because like, there was something for everybody. Whoever you were there for, whoever you wanted to see, someone from your team was going to appear at some point and you had a chance to cheer them. And that's what happened. I mean, the, the two catchers in the league were the ones who homered in the all-star game. So anybody could step up and perform. And I think that's cool. Yeah. That's kind of what I would expect from this, these events. I mean, these are events, uh, especially the all-star game, but these are big events. These are events that baseball fans want to go to. Um, they're expensive events, but you know, they're not events where they're events where you want to be experienced them all. They're not events necessarily where you're, you're 
you're trying to go there, just have a good time, get drunk and make an ass of yourself. Right. Like you want to experience, you want to, you're a baseball, you're not going to the all-star game if you're not a baseball fan. I mean, so these <laughs> are all, I assume big baseball. Fan. I mean, for the most part, yes. they're all big baseball fans. They're all people that want to be there to watch the game and to and enjoy the experience um, to go back to the Homer Derby a little mm-hmm. bit. Like, yeah, that's first of all, the best part, unfortunately, the best part may have been early on Otani versus Soto. I, that's so unfair to both of them. Cause I, I know Randall says he uh, Soto is just a uh, gap hitter, you know, all around double doubles machine. But uh, I think Juan Soto has a little bit of power to him because uh, he hits balls really hard. And I, I, I placed my a couple little bets for the first time in a, in some time, a, a little while. And I had, you know, took Soto Alonzo and Shohei, uh, unfortunately all like lined up against each other. So it was like, I only had one half of the bracket, but uh that was amazing. And I, I was rooting for both of them. I was like, I couldn't decide who I wanted to move on to Shohei or Juan. And they were both going off. And then Pete Alonso is basically just a man built for this. He is built Psycho. for a home run derby. Yeah. Uh, I, I mentioned earlier in the year when he, the Mets were in town and the Cubs brought in Rex brothers to face Lindor, turn him around. They had a, another lefty behind Alonso, but I was like, he has, it was a seven, two game. And I was like, brothers has to get Lindor out here, which he did not. Uh, because like, I don't want Alonzo up with somebody on base. Cause he's just going to mash brothers. He's going to destroy brothers. And he hit a ball that supposedly went 429 feet. I don't believe it. Cause I think that's one of the farthest balls I've ever hit in Wrigley. It just went straight out. And every ball he hit, it seemed like in the home run derby was a carbon copy of that ball. I'm shocked. He, he was just pumping them all to where McGuire hit that ball in 98. And there was just multiples of them. And it just seemed like he could go on and he didn't care. Like some kid tears his ACL in the, in the outfield, Pete Alonso don't care. He's just going to bop his head to whatever's playing and just hit home runs. And it was an amazing performance. It was an incredible performance. And I was all here for it. I loved every minute of it. You know who else put on uh, quite a show in the home run derby? And I thought was disrespected pretty significantly by the coverage. Salvi. Uh, Salvador Perez, the uh, Kansas City catcher. He set the record for home runs hit by a catcher in a home run derby. And the entire time he was hitting missiles out of the ballpark, ESPN was interviewing Pete Alonso. They weren't even talking about him. And it's not like he hit three or four home runs and that was it. He went off in that round. So I thought that that was a little bit crappy, that a great moment for him. This is a guy who's well-respected in the game. Kansas City has their struggles. The, the World Series years are getting further and further behind them as we move forward. But to see him hitting home runs, that was very, very cool. He put on a good show. I just didn't think he was given the support or the appreciation he deserved while those fireworks were going off. Yeah. Unfortunately he got matched up with Pete Alonzo. Yeah. Uh, which broadcast were you watching? Were you watching the main broadcast or the Statcast broadcast? Yeah. Great question. So I started with the main broadcast and I, I thought Scott Berman still did the, the home Berman. run derby. Chris Berman. Yeah. Well, Scott Berman. Goodness. Yeah. Um, Chris Berman. I thought he still did. I was relieved to hear that he didn't. That broadcast was atrocious. I jumped over to the Statcast broadcast. I thought that uh, the Sox broadcaster did a nice job. I didn't like the camera angle that really either was doing, you know, back in the day, you used to get 10 outs, right. which means you could watch the flight of the baseball. Now that it's a timed event, the downside to it is you don't get to watch the ball sort of soaring through the sky. He hits it before it lands the batter swinging at another pitch. So I thought the ESPN one coverage showed the home run balls a little bit better. ESPN2, though, had the better broadcasters. So I was going back and forth to answer your question. I wanted to see both of it. Neither broadcast was 
all that impressive though. It was hard to get a sense of what was going on. It felt chaotic. And Rich and Bob were at the home run derby. I asked them, that's the vibe I got watching it on TV. They said it was the same thing in person. They were out in the left field bleachers. So one, they were in home run territory, but yeah, the ball would be hit. Awesome. You'd be kind of tracking the ball in the air. And then all of a sudden you're looking up for another ball coming at you. So that's something that's a little bit strange. Um, but you know, it changes it, it, the home run derby moved. It didn't feel like it dragged in years past. It's felt like it's been almost tedious to get through it this year. I thought it moved pretty efficiently and maybe it's because of the timed event. Yeah. I think the time event when they changed that a couple years ago, I think that added an entire whole new element to the home run derby. And you know, that, that is the downside. Uh, it is a little more difficult to watch the flight, the path of the ball, um, especially this year. Cause I think this year they changed that. You didn't have to wait for the yeah. ball to land in years past you had, and there had been some controversy over that. I'm sure Randall will one day fill us in the controversy with Schwarber and Harper over sure. balls being landed, but uh, you know, it's a little more chaotic and I, the chaotic though. It's a good thing for the home run derby. I think it, it gives you like this, almost like an arcade sense, like yeah. an arcade sense and everything's going off and guys are just hitting balls out and it's crazy. And it's a little bit like, you know, sitting in the Wrigley bleachers for BP, you know, your balls just go and people got to be paying attention, you know, cause balls are going to hit you in the head. If you're not paying attention. Uh, when I went the uh, Albert Pujols set the record for most home runs in a home run, uh, in a home run derby round, it was 14 and it was the 10 outs. And this year, Pete Alonso hits 35 in one round, which is absolutely insane. Um, so the home run derby, I think it's been like, you know, the last few years when they've made this change, I think that it's been incredible how much this one change has made to the home yeah. run derby and how amazing it's been uh, for an experience. Um, so, but then on Tuesday, you were not expecting to go to the ball game at all. You, you thought the futures game, you thought the celebrity softball game, that was going to be your experience. Yeah. So what happens there where you get a, you're able to get into the ballpark for the all-star game. Yeah. And, and I want to say I would have been content Sunday if that was the only thing I could have gotten into. I, I really had a great time Sunday at the ballpark with some good friends really there all day. Uh, Tuesday, uh, my guests who are very well connected, they've got a lot of folks in the Denver Rockies, uh, the Colorado Rockies sort of baseball scene. They've got a lot of season ticket holder friends. They wanted to help me out and they found a connection and they were able to get me a single ticket into that ball game. So I was very, very pleasantly surprised. Something that they kept saying the whole time they were here is Ronan, you don't realize how much you are saving us by allowing us to stay at your place here. Hotels in Denver, the last couple of days have been three to $400 minimum per night. So for them to get a couple of days here, free parking, we were walking to bars and stuff. We didn't have to lift anywhere, save them a lot of money. And, and with their connections with season tickets, I had a ticket Tuesday morning. And that was incredible because what we did is once we got that ticket, we went straight to the fan convention over at the convention center, which was a free event. We went in there and it was cool. They had an old Babe Ruth bat from way back in the day. That was nice to see. One of the other things that I thought was really neat there was they had trophies that I've never actually seen in person. Uh, for example, the trophy you get when you win a, a batting title in the National League, uh, the trophy for the NL MVP, a Cy Young. I've never seen those up close before. So that was kind of cool to see the World Series trophy, the Commissioner's Trophy, they call it. Uh, that was there to see that up close. That was neat. Most of the fan fest was family friendly. It was geared towards kids getting to run the bases and do batting cages and things. I got a trivia question. That's not so much a trivia question. I got a question for you, Jeremy, though. I saw a former Colorado Rockies. I, I, he was one of the Bash brothers, uh, the Blake Street Bombers. 
He was standing next to the world's largest baseball, taking free photos with fans who wanted to do it. Any guess who that Colorado Rocky great was? I only guess Dante Bichette. That's a good guess. He was here because Bo yeah, was Bo, obviously in town as guessing. well. Ellis Burks. There's well, was, a name you probably haven't my heard. My second guess was Ellis <laughs> Burks because I knew it wasn't Walker who had COVID. And you mentioned Vinny Castilla, so I, I worked it out. So it was between Bichette and Burks to me. And I was just thinking Bichette would be there for his son. Yeah. Uh, Brett Saberhagen was signing autographs. That was a free Former thing at that. We, we didn't exactly write. He did. He was a very, very brief time as a Colorado Rocky, but he was indeed a Rocky. I think he played nine games as a Rocky in wow, his day. It. I knew he played yeah. for them. I didn't realize it was that little. It was like nine, nine games or nine innings maybe is, is the right way of saying wow. it. And he gave up like seven or eight home runs. Oh, that was well, it. it's <laughs> like Colorado in like 1995. So pre-humidor yeah. chaos here at those ball games, uh, right in the middle of the steroid era. Pre-humidor Coors Field was just a, a circus. I mean, you had then. like a five. You look at those stats; it's like a five ERA was like a one ten ERA plus. It's like that's above yeah. average. Well, but it was cool. It, it, the Fan Fest was not the most exciting thing, but I'm glad I got in there. I got to see it. And if you were there again with family, it was a cool thing. There were opportunities for kids to like get their picture taken and have a baseball card printed out on card material. There were other giveaways and things, but just to get in there, I wanted to see it for a few minutes and then got into the ballpark. I ended up with a pretty interesting seats. I threw a picture up there on uh, the BT. Some great seats from my, what it looked like to me. Yeah. I I mean, it was up uh, upper deck, uh, but back towards home plate. I was there in a single seat. Uh, my buddies were down the first base line a little bit, but it was funny because I sat between two very different people at the game. And you mentioned earlier, you're not going to go to the all-star game unless you're a baseball fan. I sat next to the one person oh. in Coors Field on Tuesday night who had no business being there. So to my right, there were two people to my right. One of them, uh, both of them were Mets fans. One of them definitely wanted to be there. He had Mets gear on. I'm thinking maybe his brother was the person with him. His brother was extremely obnoxious over the course of the game. Anytime contact was made, any contact at all, he would say audibly home run, right? So like a pop foul ball behind home plate, like just off to our right. As soon as the ball gets hit, home run, home run. That got really tiring after about the second inning. The good news is, as soon as Taiwan Walker left the game, they were both gone. So I think that was the fifth or sixth inning. They were out of there. At least I had room. The woman to my left was awesome. She was a granny from Southern California. She was there with her kids and grandkids. And it was a really cool thing because the kids, like the grandkids, were maybe 10, 11, 12 years old, decked out in Anaheim gear. The Trout, Otani, and really into it. They were watching the game. They weren't messing around on their phones. They are into it. The grandkids' parents, so the grandmother's daughter, big San Diego Padres fan. Anytime the Padres players came up, she had a jersey on, was repping them and all that. The granny loved the Latin players from Southern California. So any um, Padre that came to the plate, big ovation. Dodger, Angel, big ovation, especially the Latin guys. And it it was kind of like my mom, actually. That's the vibe that I got sitting there. It was an older uh, Mexican granny lady from Southern California who loved being in the ballpark there with her family. She was a really good fan, was cheering for all the players. It was really cool to have them. And we were talking over the course of the game. They came out for a week. They just wanted to see Denver. They got tickets. But three generations of a family, very invested. That was cool to see. And just sitting in my seat, every jersey you could imagine 
was visible in front of me. So when, uh, you know, a Dodger player would come up, a group of people would stand up. When a Philly would get in there, a group of guys would stand up. It was cool. A lot of fun to be in there. And two things sort of struck me looking at the lineup. One, it was the first time I ever saw a couple of players in person. Aaron Judge was somebody who I've never actually seen play baseball before. I thought that was cool. Timmy Anderson is a guy who I've ever, ever actually never seen play in wow. Major League Baseball. I haven't seen the White Sox in person in a couple of years now. I also was sort of drawn to the fact that I've seen so many great players over the last couple of years. I've seen Otani. I've had an opportunity to see all the Padres and the Dodgers, all those players that come to Coors Field a lot, but to see them all in one place, that's something that you only get to do maybe once in your life if you get the opportunity to go to an all-star game. So I tried to really just embrace it. I didn't leave my seat from the start of the game to the end of the game. I just wanted to sit there. I wanted to take everything in and really had a nice time out at the ballpark. Um, one observation in terms of play, all-star defense is really good. Yeah. Like if, like if you're not driving the ball with authority, it's an out. Anything on the ground, infielders are scooping it up. Unless it's a line drive, like into the gaps or over the fence, or the outfielders get second. to it. It was just really amazing to see every single person on the field be a really good defender. And, and some great plays were made. And guys are trying. That's the beauty of the Major League Baseball All-Star right. games. They're out there actually competing and playing. But the defense was something like, you're not getting a lot of seeing-eye singles at an All-Star game. If the ball's not hit with authority, someone's getting their glove on it. And that's so impressive to see, especially in a ballpark that has such a big surface area or playing surface. Yeah, and that's the one difference, you know, with uh, the Major League Baseball All-Star game as opposed to, say, other league all-star games is you know that you have to pretty much try it in a baseball all-star game you can't just you know let guys go to the hoop or in football obviously you're not going to go all out because you don't want to no. injure somebody in a meaningless game but uh in baseball you know you're going to throw your best pitches i remember one year brad penny came out and just started throwing like 100 miles per hour and everybody's like brad penny could throw 100 he just he was like i got 12 pitches or whatever i'm just gonna throw them as hard as i can yeah um so it's incredible i mean we're going to, we'll probably get into a little bit more, but Jared Walsh, like I was like, never played left field before makes yeah. an incredible catch on Chris Bryant in a huge moment. But one thing I wanted to get to before that was, and unfortunately Randall's not here to talk about this. I feel like <laughs> I'm saying this a lot, but uh, when I, I got to go to the all-star game, I thought it was cool. Cause I got to see every player in their own jerseys. And I thought yeah. that was an incredible experience when you're at the all-star game, you can't tell who's who, like, you know, one thing you could do is you, if you go on to see somebody going to the bullpen, I could immediately tell who's warming up. Cause I know what, you know, I, I saw Eric Gagne out there in the bullpen warming up in 2003. Cause I know he's a Dodger. He's coming in, whatever. Everybody is the same. Nobody knows who is. And I thought that was a huge disappointment. Not only, I don't care how the jerseys looked. I mean, I don't, I don't think they looked that good, but the fact that they were all in these standard jerseys, that was a real big disappointment. I, I remember when they did the hats, I didn't like that, but at least they kept the jerseys going to the jerseys. Now it just kind of really ruined the experience for me. Agreed. Agreed completely. And it doesn't help that they're just terribly designed jerseys, uh, really ugly. Like they looked like smocks is what it looked like. The players were wearing at least from up in the, the, the top section of the upper deck of course field. But there was a point in the game where you know, what you're going to get in all-star game are mass substitutions coming out of inning breaks. Right. There's always a new pitcher on the mound and new guy at third or short or whatever. 
there was a sea of or an influx of substitutions and I'm looking out at the field going I'm pretty sure Chris Bryant's in left field just looking at like the build of the guy or the the body type I've seen Chris Bryant play a lot in the last couple of years wasn't announced over the PA system and I couldn't just look at the jersey and go oh yeah he's got the Cubs home pinstripes this Chris Bryant in left field so I had to wait for him to run in after the half inning was over to to really see oh yeah that's him as he was coming back into the dugout so there were some things like that that aren't great. And unfortunately I saw a report today that Nike's already working on the yeah. same jerseys for next year, not wow. the same in terms of the same design, but it's going to be a similar approach in that there will be a uniform uniform for the all-star game. And that's a bummer because it was always cool to see players in their uniforms. And oftentimes it was the best uniform that teams have, whether mm-hmm. it's their home or road uniforms, but like the Cubs wear the Wrigleyville things now. And it seems like every other weekend they're wearing a different Jersey these days. See Chris Bryan in the home, white uniform with the pinstripes that's something I, I kind of get emotional with that speaking of emotion wonderful tribute to Hank Aaron uh, having his widow come out on the field before the ball game was just amazing I I got a little bit teary-eyed actually just thinking about what she has experienced over the years and everything that she saw her husband go through the way the country has changed in the last 50 or 60 years to get her to Coors Field with 50,000 people. You talk about some of the beauty of the all-star game, the winning pitcher, Japanese pitcher who gets the save Australian, the most valuable player, a Canadian Dominican player. This is truly a global game. This is a very diverse game. And I think Mrs. Aaron out on that field on that night, it was a very beautiful moment. And I took it in like that. This is really, really cool. This is the best of baseball history right here. And never got to see him play, of course, but at least got to see a great tribute to him. And a lot of the players were wearing 44 and stuff too, which was cool to see. Yeah, that's the one unfortunate thing I think about moving the ball all-star game out of Atlanta. This was obviously set for Atlanta. Um, to have that tribute in Atlanta, I think would have been a, a real emotional experience in their hometown. Uh, you know, where obviously where Hank Aaron played a great, I mean, you know, he played in Milwaukee as well, but really I think he's known in Atlanta nowadays being with that organization for the 50 or so odd years, pretty much uh, a couple of years with the Brewers, but you know, until, until his unfortunate passing uh, recently. So yeah, that was a pretty incredible experience. I thought it was pretty, I mean, my mom even like stopped, you know, and watched that, like, you know, it was such a moving kind of thing um, to get Hank Aaron in there. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, just a fantastic baseball. And the one th- and Hank Aaron, uh, the, the home run derby, which is, you know, based off of kind of this old show from 1960 where they had home run derby at the other Wrigley field in uh, out Los Angeles area. Yeah. Um, and they used to have an off season. They would get these guys in to, and they would come and do home run derby and Hank Aaron won more home run derbies, which was fitting. Cause he was the home run champ. Yeah. He won more home run derbies than any person ever. He went six and one in the home run derby. So it was fitting to have Hank Aaron as like during Great. all-star game as the home run derby guy. You're totally right. You're totally right. It was a very tactful tribute. Um, cool to see that. Also got to admit too, I gave a standing ovation to a St. Louis Cardinal. Wow. You believe it? Hopefully the only time in my life I ever do that. And I, I got to add a context here because I fucking hate the St. Louis Cardinals and even their fans that were walking around. Those, those were the only people I didn't like seeing walking around the neighborhood here where people were in Cardinals jerseys. It was Nolan coming back to Coors Field. I was really cheering. I was getting closure to his Rockies day more than actually cheering a St. Louis Cardinal. Uh, we've talked at length about what has happened there and him leaving the city and what it means to the fans. 
I wanted to make sure that he got the ovation he deserved at Coors Field. So gave a tip of the cap. I actually cheered for St. Louis Cardinal, but it was Nolan back at Coors Field. I have to do it. Um, other than that, though, not even the the um, minor leaguers that were playing in the Futures game for the Cardinals. I wasn't going to boo any prospects in what should be a great day for them playing in the Futures game. I wasn't unhappy when they were striking out and, and making poor plays in the field or anything during the futures game. I was enjoying that a little bit. Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, Chris Bryant, you know, comes up in two yeah. major spots. He goes over two. I really thought he had a shot uh, with that ball that he hit and on a three Oh count, you know, and I liked his, his thought process. He's like, I'm getting three Oh counts. It's an all-star game. I'm going to fastball. We're down three. If I hit this out, you know, I'm the all-star game MVP. So why am I not going for it? Right. He goes, I'm swinging at anything. And I, I was like, you know what? That's I, that's why I love Chris Bryant. And I hope that, you know, this isn't the last time we see him in a Cubs uniform. You know, I, you know, Jock goes today. Hopefully we get to see him like in the pinstripes come back home um, before he, if, if he is moved before he's moved. And I was actually a little disappointed in Joe Buck. I know we have a lot of Joe Buck haters out yeah. there, but I'm not, the, you know, I, I think Joe Buck's okay. He's fine. But uh, I was disappointed with, you know, you, it's an all-star game. You, you get a chance to talk to a guy, you know, they did the mic'd up while he's playing the field. I, why does everything have to be about like, and it's been this way yeah. the whole season and I get it, you know, whatever, but like he's in the all-star game. Talk to him about like maybe this amazing moment in his life where he's playing baseball in the all-star game and it's fun and it's happy and not just be like the first thing you do. Like, Oh, how do you handle these trade rumors and stuff like that? He's in the middle of a game and I realize it's an exhibition game, but it's, the most fun, probably yes. exhibition game he has in his life. I don't think that's a time and place for it. I, I'm sorry, and I, I and I people are like, oh, the question had to be asked. I don't think it did have no. to be asked. Uh, and I know Chris Bryant's dad was pretty pissed off about it, and so for that, I was a little disappointed. I didn't think that has to be the focus. Um, I think. In a game like this, it should just be about celebrating the sport, celebrating every all the players that are out there, you yeah. know, and just fun. I don't think every, you know, you can take a day off for once. You don't, don't everything has to be like, you know, the future of the Cubs or the free, like, you know, just have fun with it. So you're, that was my right. biggest disappointment besides the uniforms. And I couldn't hear that. I, I saw people talking about it after the game. So fortunately I missed that. That would have pissed me off. I was put off though at the very start of the game. I think it was Reducci was the other sideline reporter. Uh, maybe I'm getting that wrong, but he's down on the so. field. It was Rosenthal. And I think Verducci. I would assume it's Verducci. He it's the top of the first inning. Nolan takes the field at third defensively because the National League was the home team, so they're in the field first. And before the game even starts, they get a microphone up in his face demanding that he makes a statement to the fans. Like, let the guy get into the ballpark. Let the fans give him the standing ovation in the bottom half of the inning when he comes up, which is what happened. I just thought shoving a microphone in his face, I mean, the guy just took the field in the All-Star game in a ballpark that he has incredible history in. Probably, I would think Nolan was a little bit uncomfortable. I'm not trying to speak for the guy, but just so much attention. Every little thing he did was being micromanaged by everybody here over the last couple of weeks. Like, let the guy get on the field for five minutes and get a feel for the game before you demand that he speaks to the fans. I didn't like that. Kind of put a bad taste in my mouth at the start of the game, but the fans gave him the ovation he deserved. And now... I kind of hope there's some closure here. Like he's been back already as a member of the Cardinals. He got a standing ovation. It sucks. Ownership here is atrocious in Denver, but it's time to move on now to the next chapter. Not everything needs to be Nolan now moving forward. And I hope that maybe the all-star game brings the closure for that. And even Trevor story who had the opportunity in the home run derby, he's not going to be a Colorado Rocky in 15 days or so. It's time to kind of let that one go, though, as well. And we'll see what they get back for uh, an interesting shortstop who's admittedly not having the year that he should be having going into free agency. 
Yeah, the one thing you did miss, which was actually kind of funny and intriguing, was you know, you know, they mic up the players now and they try to talk to them during the game. Well, they mic'd up Liam Hendricks for the save at the ninth inning, and apparently his earpiece was not working. They were trying to talk to him, but whoever decided, they decided to just leave the mic on. And Liam Hendricks <laughs> didn't know that they were trying to talk to him because his earpiece wasn't working. So he was just pitching. And you heard everything Liam Hendricks <laughs> was doing that. It was great. You, you throw a pitch down and you hear, God damn it, fucking finish <laughs> off the mound in this Australian accent. And it was just like nonstop. And everybody watching is like, so is Fox just letting this go? And it, like you would hear this like all the, and it was, it was pretty incredible. Even like the mound visit, you heard everything. And Liam Hendricks is like, I'm mic'd up, but I don't care or whatever, you know, and <laughs> they're talking. It was pretty incredible. I, I loved every minute of it. I wish that we could see that more often. That's fun. That's fun for sure. They had some decent stuff on the video board too during the game that kept you engaged just as a fan, but I'll never forget it. And, and the guys I went to the game with that, you know, they were talking about the amount of money that they had spent in the week here in Denver on tickets and everything else. But they said something that really kind of stuck with me. The money you're going to get back, right? You're going to work. You're going to go back to your right. job this week. You're going to get that back. Those two guys, they're brothers. They grew up diehard Rockies fans. They will always have that experience of the futures game, the home run derby, the all-star game. I got to do two thirds of it with them as well. The three of us, we're always going to have those memories and I'll never forget it. Just like you will clearly never forget the 03 all-star game. And I hope that maybe someday down the road, I'll get to a home run derby or another all-star game. But as a baseball fan to, to have seen it, to have experienced it here in a city that means a lot to me in a ballpark that suddenly means a lot to me in Coors Field. Very, very cool. And it's something that uh, I got to see Chris Bryant maybe one more time as a Cub. I certainly knew when Kimbrell walked off the mound, like that's the last time I'm going to see that guy in a Cubs uniform. But I do hope Bryant can find a way to stick around or be extended because I'm not ready to let that one go. And if it is, I gave him a hell of an ovation and he was just a couple of inches away from tying up the game with a big hit uh, at the end of the ball game. So it would have been fun. Still, all told, Futures game, Cubs are kind of have an eye on the future as we, we see this season not really going the way we want it to. Very cool to see Davis get the MVP in the Futures game. Just taking all the festivities. Yesterday here in Denver, it was overcast. It felt like the city was hungover from a week-long party. And I was a little bit sad walking around Coors Field yesterday, seeing them take down the all-star signage. The Dodgers are in town starting tomorrow night. Uh, the bunting coming down off the ballpark. That's kind of sad because there's been so much excitement built up over the last few months. All-star game, all-star game, all-star game. Now it's done. And end of an era, at least at least here with that. So very cool. Really enjoyed it. Hell of a week. Tip of the cap to Rich and Bob, who were awesome guests. We had a lot of fun here. And uh, I think when the Cubs have the all-star game in the next couple of seasons, it's going to be a hell of a party in Wrigleyville. And Jeremy is a partial season ticket holder. I do hope you get that opportunity maybe to be sitting out in the bleachers for the home run derby because what a sight it was out there. A lot of fun. Yeah, I hope that too. Yeah. And I agree with everything you just said. Uh, actually, my I would say now my biggest regret I feel like is not going out to Cleveland for game seven. I mean, it's totally, you know, as you said, you know, talking about money and stuff like that, the experience would just been have been incredible. And I feel like that's something I probably should have made happen. But, uh, you know, nice little segue. We got some games coming up uh, in the future. The Cubs are going to be back tomorrow or today, as you'll probably be listening to this. And uh, the Cubs are going on the road. They're going on a road trip. They're going to Arizona. And, 
you know, I, this is part of the reason why I didn't think, uh, you know, some trades would happen so quickly is because Arizona is a terrible baseball team. <laughs> they are going to play the Diamondbacks. I thought Cubs could get off to a little bit of a hot start like they did a few years ago in 2017 when they played the Orioles. Uh, you know, they're going and then they're going to St. Louis where, you know, St. Louis did take two out of uh, did take the series last weekend. But, uh, you know, Cubs could come back. So we got Kyle Hedricks versus Madison Bumgarner tomorrow. And then uh, Adbert Alzali and Zach Davis will Zach Davies will fill out for the Cubs. It's TBD so far for the Diamondbacks. But once again, as always, we have our weather from Alexander Hall uh, at Alexander Hall of Cubs weather at Cubs weather. We can go and, you know, get some really cool uh, weather. And if you're going to any games, check it out because you'll know, you know, any rain delays, what games getting in, what the weather is, whether to pack some sunblock, some sunscreen, you'll know you'll be ready. That uh, unlike the pitchers on the mound, you can be covered as much as you want in sunscreen. But going to Arizona, it's it, it's going to be an oh boy, man. Uh, it's it's a big one. Looking at this, th- looking at this weather report, uh, as Alexander says, uh, scorching heat, but actually near average in Phoenix. So uh, that's pretty incredible. The low hundreds basically all weekend, and it's a dry heat. It's, it's a dry heat. Low hundreds. <laughs> Uh, early monsoon type uh, afternoon thunderstorms each day. So Alexander thinks the roof will be closed. I think the roof will be closed. I mean, a hundred degrees. That's going to be pretty incredible yep. on Friday. He has a uh, uh, late game on Friday, 8 40 PM uh, central time. You got low. You're in the low hundreds before falling to the mid to upper nineties with a slight chance for a pop-up store. God. Just incredible. Uh, Nothing like lows and then upper 90s. Yeah, the low is upper 90s. And then Saturday, you have 3 o'clock, a late afternoon game. You have low hundreds with the slight chance for a storm. And, and the same thing on Sunday, another 3 o'clock game. Basically the same. And then you go to Randall's favorite city in the world. The Cubs will be heading to St. Louis. And Alexander says if you asked him what the weather was like in St. Louis in July and he didn't look at a single map, he'd guess something along the lines of this forecast. This is the default summer mode in the mid Mississippi Valley with humidity, warmth and daily thunderstorm chances. So Monday night, we got a night game, uh, partly cloudy, low eighties, humid, slight chances for a storm, light breezing from center field, five, 10 miles per hour. Sounds a lot better than Arizona to me personally. I think the Cubs will agree. Uh, same thing on Tuesday night, pretty much a ditto. And then Wednesday night, you got mid eighties, slight chance for a storm with light and variable winds Thursday, a uh, little bit of an earlier game, six fifteen. And uh, partly cloudy, upper 80s to 90, light breeze out to center field, 5 to 15 miles per hour. Now, Ronan, I know we had discussed, because we're planning on going on an annual trip. I, I don't know if we'll get out there tomorrow, but we had discussed possibly going to Arizona. It was actually kind of yeah. my suggestion in July. And uh, looking at this forecast, I'm kind of glad we did not go through with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, so we've got a great idea here. It sort of, it's been in, as Randall would say, it's been percolating for a couple of years, but the the onset of the pandemic really had us thinking we want to do an annual Cubs road trip where every year, at least Jeremy and I, we pick a city, we go there, we catch two or three Cubs games in that city. And we've got uh, another group of friends who maybe they won't make it every year, but some years folks will come other years, other folks will come. And maybe once we'll get Randall, Randall does not like going on the road to watch the Cubs. Lots and lots of frustration in road ballparks. So not sure he's coming with us. And the problem this year is that we had all the the post-pandemic rules that really dominated the first half of the season. And if you look at the Cubs weekend road trips the rest of the way, there's really not a whole lot going on. Yeah, they're in Miami. Uh, They go to the White Sox. They've got a whole bunch of National League Central teams. We've been to those cities a lot. So 
Phoenix in July was the one that's like, well, that's kind of doable, but yeah. fuck that, man. It's way too hot. It was the one, well, I was thinking because one, it was after the All-Star game and yeah. you know, come out of the break. Plus the trade deadline was coming up. So I was thinking maybe this is our last chance of seeing some guys. And I thought Arizona, you know, they're not going to have some COVID regulations. Who knows what it's going to be like in other states. So I thought Phoenix possibly, but uh, low hundreds every day is not my type. I, I no. don't, that's, I'm not for that. <laughs> no. It's a little hot for me. I know Randall's probably not for that. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm well, pretty happy. Let me share a great story Go from it. what's it called? Chase field. Now the ball bank one ballpark, the one well, in uh, Phoenix. Yeah, it used to be the Bob. Now it's chase. I think So the Bob opens in 98. Uh, the Bob is one of several West of Mississippi ballparks. Randall has been to, yeah. uh, off the top of my head, Coors field. He was out here a couple years ago with mm-hmm. you uh, for those Cubs games. I, I believe he's been to Safeco, but Safeco. not for a game. I think he just got the ball. Has he been tour. to a game at the Bob? You know, I don't think the story I, comes actually from a ballpark tour right. at Bank One Ballpark. And Randall, as he often does, he always wins over the, the crowd that you're with when you're at an event like that. As they were touring the bowels of Bank One Ballpark, they walked by the umpire's room. And there's Braille leading into the room to make it ADA compliant or whatever the case may be. That was just a fastball yep. down the middle for Randall. He cracked his joke. Of course, the umpires have Braille leading into their room. The whole group had fun with it. Just great, great Randall moment down there in the desert. And unfortunately, he won't be down there this weekend to see uh, what's left of the Cubs. That was Brandall was Pete Alonzo getting a Rex Brothers fastball right yes. there. He, he <laughs> peed that one up. Uh, yeah. Not a great ballpark. And, and it's interesting when you look at Phoenix, you think about all the teams in Major League Baseball, or all, let me put it this way, the cities that could host Major League teams. Whether it's expansion or relocation, Montreal comes up a lot. Las Vegas is getting chirped about a lot these days. Yeah, um, Portland could be a potential site. Nashville, maybe Charlotte. There's a lot of places that could potentially have baseball teams. And when you hear about teams that should be relocated, the top two teams that come to mind are often Tampa Bay and Oakland. We know that both of those teams need new ballparks. With the case of Tampa Bay, it would be much better if they could get that ballpark actually built in Tampa than down in St. Petersburg. That should help attendance. I think if Oakland could work out a ballpark, a team is viable in that city. They could do very well there that they could get out of that dumpy Coliseum. A team that I think should be considered for relocation, and I, I don't want any fan base to go through having to lose a team, but this is the reality of sports. It's a business. Phoenix. Phoenix is not a very good Major League Baseball market, I think they do very well in spring training. I think they've owned that. I think spring training in Arizona is significantly better than the experience that you get in Florida. I just don't think it works for Major League Baseball. They've had a lot of difficulty with that ballpark. It's not aging well. The field itself is not in very good shape. I don't know. I think Phoenix is a team that maybe 10 years from now, maybe they end up in Vegas or Portland or something instead of just Tampa Bay or Oakland. Yeah, the only thing there is I I think Major League Baseball would be very uh I don't think they would want to give up. Phoenix is what the fifth or sixth largest city in the country nowadays. So that's a pretty big market that uh, you would be giving up by moving a team out. And it's actually pretty incredible now with as Oakland's going through a lot of issues now and now they're, you know, threatening to move and one of the places being mentioned is Vegas and I just can't yeah. imagine them moving to Vegas to be right back in the, the Raiders shadow. It's like kind of a weird, like they're going to be right there. They spent all this time trying to get out from under the Raiders and they're going to move right back under the Raiders. So I, I think that's a little bit, but uh, you know, there's some other action going on in Denver this past week and we'll touch on this a little bit more in the future, but I, I thought, you know, with it being recently 
And it's a little unfortunate you didn't get to attend, I think, on Sunday. You saw the celebrity softball game instead. But uh, the, <laughs> there was the the Major League Draft. And so I just wanted to mention a few um, a few of the guys the Cubs went after this, uh, you know, some of the top names. So obviously their first round uh, pick, I think, was a left-handed pitcher out of uh, Kansas State uh, University, Jordan Wicks. And then they went into the second round and they put, plucked a high school a shortstop, but they announced him as a third baseman from James Madison High School in Suffolk, Virginia, named James Triantos. And then the third round to me is the big one because I Randall, I can't imagine he was too happy about this, <laughs> but they plucked a kid out of Belleville, Illinois, which is right outside of St. Louis, Metro East, by the name of Drew, Drew Gray, who is actually at the IMG Academy in uh, down outside, of, I think, Tampa, uh, down in Florida, though. And he's been pitching there and he's a big time cards fan. There was even a little piece about him in the St. Louis post dispatch today about how big of a Cardinals fan this kid is. And he got drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals. And then the Cubs picked me as a personal note, just like a guy. I was very happy to see them pick. Cause I really like watching him play. And that was fourth rounder Christian Franklin out of Arkansas. And he was one of the most fun players in my mind in the uh, NCAA tournament. He was playing great. He got, I think he was a little bit underwater, not COVID related at some point later in the tournament where he kind of struggled a little bit, but this was a kid who actually had like some first round grades on him coming into the season. And he struggled a little bit, but he, I, he's a very fun player. And if he's able to make it to the major leagues, I think he would be a very fun player to watch at, in, um, in at Wrigley field. And my question to you though, Ronan is uh, the draft being out there in Denver uh, last year they were going to do it in Omaha and that obviously did not work out this year. They're moving it as part of the, uh, all-star weekend. Was that like a kind of a big deal out there in Denver? Were people really interested in that? Or was that just kind of a throwaway thing that was kind of on the side? That that's a really good point. Um, it was, as you mentioned, it was Sunday night. It was at the convention center in a theater that normally has stand-up comedians. I've seen Tom Segura there, for example, like that's normally the type of show that you're going to get at the Belco theater. I don't know that Denver was all that excited about the draft, but the three of us, Rich, Bob, and I, we wanted to be there. We tried to get tickets to go to the draft. We couldn't. There was no way for us to get in there, and it bothered me because watching it on TV that night, it was three-quarters empty. There were tons of empty seats. I absolutely would have enjoyed going if I could have. Um, the problem with the convention center, I, well, I mentioned earlier that Denver isn't a very long city. It takes maybe a 15-minute walk to get from one place to the other, um, it was sort of separated from everything else. It's sort of on the opposite side of downtown to Coors Field that it just felt separated from McGregor Square, Coors Field, all the partying and the bars and everything right around the ballpark itself. Um, so I got back from the Futures game, put on the draft, was watching it, and I was a little bit bummed because I would have, I don't know that I would have maybe been there for the entire thing, but I certainly would have liked to be there for the Cubs pick and just to kind of see it. That as much as anything on Sunday, I just was excited or interested in seeing how everything comes together. How do they prepare the field? Like all the years that we've watched the celebrity softball game, we see the temporary fence that they put up in the outfield. Yeah. I'm the kind of guy who'd be curious. Okay. How do they do that? What's the mechanism that they do to prepare the field for the softball game? That stuff was kind of fun to see. You mentioned though, Drew Gray, that Cardinals fan, you said Belleville, Illinois. Am I mistaken in saying, I believe that's where Randy Wells was from. I believe that is true. Yes. Randy Wells yeah. uh, was also from Belleville, Illinois. His brother, Forey Wells, uh, played at University of Illinois as a punter. And so uh, they were actually like an Illini family. So, I, yes, I believe they're also downstate guys from outside of uh, St. Louis from Belleville, Illinois. I think 
Neil Cotts might. No, there, that, there's another name. There's certainly another name in there. Um, but I'm I'm certainly excited about Wicks. Everything, the footage that you see, uh, almost at times you see a little bit of like John Lester and even his build and sort of the way that he looks on the mound. So it, it'll be fun to see what happens with these guys. Kind of some bad news in the last day or so that two of the 20 picks the Cubs had have opted instead to go to college, one to Tulane, another to Miami. We are seeing an influx of uh, non-drafted free agents getting signed by the Cubs and other teams. So there's still a lot to, to take from this, it, you know, a 20 round draft is very different than what we've seen in the past, certainly different than last year where it was even shorter with the pandemic, but in years past, I mean, we've seen 50, 60 rounds in some major league drafts. So 20 rounds, I think that a lot of value is going to come with those undrafted free agents and we'll continue to see the Cubs sign those over the next few days. Yeah. The non-drafted free agents obviously will be a huge part of this. Um, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of guys, too, that probably won't go, go back to college because there's guys that they got the extra year of eligibility, so they stayed an extra year, so they're a little bit older or, or whatever. Um, you know, 20 rounds, as you said, uh, and last year, five rounds. You know, it used to be back in the old days that it would draft last until a team, to whatever team decided the last, they were done. Like, as long as whatever. The, so, like, one team, if they wanted to, they could just keep drafting guys, and they would go, like, 65, 66, 67, yep. and however many guys you want to draft, that would be it. Then they made it a 50-round draft, and I think they moved it to a 40-round draft, and I assume at some point we'll get back to being a 40-round draft, but, you know, with less minor league teams and now a minor league cap, I think, of 185 players in your organization, we who knows how many, uh, how big the draft will be in the future. But uh, it's an interesting thing about how kind of big this draft has been, because like I remember back in in high school and I would, you know, all the drafts on, you know, and I if we're on a computer, I might sneak and you, you know, you could just hear the conference call, basically, where guys would there was no TV, there was no TV, there was no like webcast, there was nothing. It was just whoever was running the draft and you would hear every like scouting director come in, Oh, redraft, whatever number, you know, a guy's name and who they're from. And if they had a relation, they would like, just know it. They'd be like son of Ken Harrelson. I don't know why that popped in my head, but that's who I picked. Um, And so like, it's kind of crazy how big it is where now they're having fans come and sit there. Yeah. It was cool though, that fans were booing Rob Manfred. That's something I got to do Tuesday night at the end of the all-star game. I got one loud boo out on the commissioner. Uh, You talk about, the draft going 60 plus rounds mike piazza hall of fame catcher That's... 62nd round draft pick drafted in the late 1980s yeah and drafted as a favor you're right um so that the draft is i'm glad that it's getting a little bit more uh, maybe appeal or at least major league baseball i think is doing a better job of packaging it all together something that sucks though about losing the short seasons is you're not going to get to see a lot of these guys really until next year that you, normally like the pitchers in particular, those college pitchers, you get a chance to see them in, in a short season after the draft second half of the year. We're not going to get that. We're going to be really relying on reports and things coming out of Mesa. And that's good to an extent, but as a baseball fan, that was something to look forward to in the second half of the minor league system. And unfortunately we're not really going to get that to the same extent this year. I don't think. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised at how much I kind of miss short season baseball. Because, I mean, like an Ed Howard, who's kind of struggled a little bit in uh, low A, uh, although he had a home run, I think, yesterday, and he's kind of got – he's actually played a little bit better since he came off the IL. But, like, I feel like that's a guy who would not be in low A right now. The Cubs kind of yeah. pushed him. 
uh, he's only 19. He would be a short season guy. Like, I don't think he would be so. And as you mentioned, some of these guys, you know, they still have the Arizona complex. Now it's called the Arizona complex lead. So they still have that. And they, and they've actually had, you know, Owen Casey, Reggie Preciado, the guys they traded for, for you Darvish. I mean, it's been like a week, but those guys are mashing down there. So we'll yeah, see are. what happens with them. And they're, those guys are young. They're only like 18. So we'll see what happens with them. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's funny you mentioned booing uh, Rob Manfred because I feel like Rob Manfred is the only kind of commissioner that actually kind of, like, gets hurt by it <laughs> yeah. and taking it back. Like, he gets booed and he starts stumbling his words. He starts, like, like, like Gary oh. Bettman is the best. I mean, I'm not saying he's the best commissioner or anything, but he is the best at being kind of the troll and just loving. He's the, a pure heel. You boo Gary Bettman, he gets stronger. Roger Goodell's kind of tried to play at that. You know, he's like, oh, boo me. You know, and that's like boo Roger Goodell presented by Bud Light or whatever. Like, come on. Like, he's turned it into like, so Roger Goodell's been like kind of a, but Rob Manfred, you boo him. And you're like, he starts fumbling around. He's like, I don't yeah. know what to do. Because unfortunately for Rob, and I don't want to come off as, I mean, we've all said things about him, but he does not really seem like he has much of a personality. No. And he kind of just seems, and he doesn't necessarily seem like he likes baseball that much. He just kind of seems like he's a guy trying to do a thing. And like, and it's just all like, I think he, if he really cared, he would just sit in the back and not, no, never talk to anybody. Yeah. And I would think, though, if I were a commissioner, part of the gig is, yeah, you're going to get booed and, and I would embrace it. It does feel like it does get under his skin. I mean, look at his behavior following the World Series down in uh, Houston, Houston, no, Texas, was, uh, the Rangers was, ballpark. Yes, it was Arlington. I mean, he was getting booed by Dodgers fans, yeah. and he was not handling it well at all. Um, even at the All-Star game, he was presenting the MVP trophy to Vlad Jr., the youngest player to win an All-Star MVP. He basically said, all right, Vlad, here you go, take it, and he got out of there. He was getting yeah. booed by the people that had stuck around the ballpark. The, but as I've said before, a lot of casual fans don't understand the role of the commissioner, his role is to represent the owners. You got the owners and the players, they work together. He represents the owners. He's not like the king of baseball where everything he says goes well, and everybody there. reports to him. He reports to the owners. We've talked a lot about the owners. I don't particularly care about the owners in major league baseball. I like the players a lot. I want the owners to be a little more interested in growing the sport instead of just growing the revenue of the yes. sport. Those are not necessarily the same things. And I don't think that the owners are always motivated by motivated by those things. Um, so I don't really care for Manfred and I, it felt good booing him, but to see Bob, I mean, we were 10 feet away from the guy and this guy wearing a, uh, one of those Chinese knockoff uh, jerseys. It wasn't even an official Renato jersey. He had, he had one of those jerseys on he said he got it for 20 bucks online. He was giving it to the Rockies owner. And it was, it was very funny. I, I got a kick out of it. And you could tell the owner heard it because he kind of like twitched a little bit and then sped off as he walked back to his pile of money here over at McGregor square. Um, no harm. He didn't say anything too offensive. He just said, man, sell the team. You know, we, like he didn't say F you, but he sort of indicated that. And a lot of fans feel that way about a lot of owners these days. So Randall would have been muttering under his breath the entire yeah. time about that Jersey. I Oh, no question. No question. It was funny because the patch was brutal. <laughs> yeah. Like the patch on the side was no good. But all in all, um, they they we had a really good time. It was a very fun week. Uh, got kind of need a couple of days here to recover, to be honest with you. It was a lot of partying. The You hear with an all-star game about the economic impact that it makes on a city. And any number you hear from Major League Baseball or from the Sports Commission here in Denver, it's a lie. It's not as high as they say it of is. Course. But it could pass the eye test where the restaurants were packed in the area around the ballpark. The hotels were packed. 
all the auxiliary things too. People had food trucks out in the street and all of that was, was doing well. And for a city that absolutely has been hurting like many American cities have in the pandemic, it was nice to see some energy and, and liveliness here. And you know, another thing too I didn't mention was during the Home Run Derby, to get the anthem from the Avet brothers at Red Rocks. That was a nice touch just to kind of bring in the Red Rocks feel to something that was going on. That was cool. So a lot of tactful little things I thought that they did and they did well. And it, it got me excited though about the Cubs getting a chance. Wrigley Field, Futures game, that place may be sold out to be honest with you, uh, just to get people inside Wrigley Field that week. So it'll be very, very cool to see that. And it's coming. We know the Dodgers have it next year. Um, the whole thing with the Cubs has been get the renovations done and you can get the all-star game. So it feels pretty imminent next three or four years. That showcase is going to go to Wrigley field and it's going to be cool because first time since 1990, we've already had two games here since the last one at Wrigley field. So uh, that'll be something that's going to be a sight to see. And I hope Jeremy, maybe we'll get a chance to get out to something. We'll, we'll drag Randall out to the celebrity softball yeah. game so he can see. Oh, uh, name a David Kaplan go in and oh, uh, hit God. one out the left field. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and uh, hopefully the home run derby when it comes back to Wrigley will be a little bit better than the one 1990 where nobody hit a ball out with the wind yeah. blowing in, you know, maybe you'll see some Except shots Rhino. off the scoreboards or well, Rhino knew Rhino. You already hear Rhino talk about, it. he's like, I was the only guy who knew it was wind blowing in that much. You got to keep it low because <laughs> it was a playing to the home field advantage. Uh, but uh, yeah, that would be quite the experience to have the all-star game. Uh, at Wrigley Field again, and I, I assume in 2033 for the 100th anniversary, it will be back on the south yeah. side of Chicago. That is my assumption. Here's the question. Will it be at Sox uh, Guaranteed Rate Field, or will it be at a new White Sox well, I thought park? you were about to say, will it not be back on the south side of Chicago because the White Sox <laughs> will be moved by then? Um, I mean, I, in the city, but, uh, yeah. you know, I so uh, so there's, there's that as well, and, and to go back to what you were saying a little bit, you know, the state of Georgia, or I don't know if this is exactly the state, but they were claiming that there was a hundred million dollar loss to Georgia. And I think I saw a study like in the uh, LA times or something where they said, well, actually it was more like 9.4 million. So that's how big yeah. some of these teams or some of these places exaggerate over. I mean, I put for a million is still a good chunk of money, but how, how much you exaggerate. Exactly. And that's, that's commonplace. Even when teams are leveraging for tax dollars to build ballparks, they talk about the economic impact. I would not 90 million, but yeah, the restaurants and bars and, and auxiliary things certainly benefited from it. Um, and you know, it's going to be a busy weekend. Of course, feel the Dodgers are coming in here starting tomorrow night. They always draw well. Um, and you know, Rockies actually play pretty decent baseball at Coors Field this season. So expect the party to continue. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going out this weekend yet, but uh, an opportunity to see baseball, you, you jump at it as much as you can. And I had a rare treat here to see an all-star game. And um, I consider myself very lucky as a baseball fan to have seen it. And who knows, maybe I'll never get to another one. At least I got that one in and I've got it in a nice ballpark, great fans, really fun, fun time. The only thing that kind of sucked was, I don't know if you could even see this on TV, very smoky here the last couple of days, uh, wildfires in Arizona and California. It's not even Colorado wildfires that are causing the problems in Denver right now. It's uh, imported from Arizona and California. Very, very smoky. The home run derby in particular, it was rough Monday night. I don't know if that translated too well, but a little bit disappointing because you couldn't really see the mountains as much as you wanted to from the ballpark. And that's a little bit of a loss. No, I don't think I really noticed that at all. I don't, I don't think I knew about it. I don't think they mentioned that. Good. Yeah. yeah. But that is pretty cool that you were able to have that whole experience. I, I think it's an incredible experience to go to the all-star game, to have that whole weekend out there in Denver. It was perfectly suited for you. 
And, uh, you know, hopefully the Cubs, you know, we get back on track. We're, next time we're going to be on this podcast, who knows what the Cubs will look like? Who knows who will still be a member of the team? Hopefully Randall's still a member of our team. I don't uh, know. Oh, you don't know. Okay. No. Well, well, I'm thinking, look, if we could trade him wow. to another podcast, you know, we could yeah. stock up for well, future years here. You know, Randall's probably a valuable asset. We might be able yeah. to leverage him into uh, a couple of young talents. And maybe uh, then sign him back. He could go yeah. do half a season right. on another pod and then. We'll Sign get some prospects the and, and then get him back. Exactly right. Exactly. They'll pull a little Aroldis Chapman on there. But uh, yeah, this has been episode number 27. Uh, the 27th episode, we mentioned Addison Russell as, uh, as I guess, our guy for number 27. He's always come to Yikes. my mind right now. I can't think of anybody else. <laughs> uh, Eddie George, if you want to go there. Um, but yeah, so we'll be back hopefully sooner rather than later. Hopefully with all three of us. Who knows, as I mentioned. But uh, for Ronan, I'm Jeremy. And uh, this has been us. Randall. Randall.